0: scott fitzpatrick welcome to the GAF podcast this podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space it's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice it's the stuff they don't teach you at uni it's where value sits so buckle in volume up let's go In this podcast, James Tompkins joined me, six times Olympian rower, three Olympic gold medalists. He's a father, he's a husband, he works for UBS, he's been in financial services, he knows thousands of advisors. He's seen this whole industry changing to a profession. There is gold, gold, gold in this one. Welcome to another edition of the GAF podcast. Scott Fitzpatrick's my name. We've got a super, super special guest, but let's just listen to this ad first. Golden Valley, Valley Fruit. Can everyone guess who it is? So good to have James Tonkins here. Welcome, buddy.
1: Uh, my pleasure, Scott. And uh, lovely to hear that tune again. I haven't. It's been quite
0: a while. Come so. on, can you still remember the words? <laughs> I, I had a. Um, I said to someone the other day, I've got James Tonkin's six, you know, Olympics gold medals, and they go, "Oh, is he the golden fruit guy?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I walk down the street and sees that guy off
1: the fruit
0: ad. And, and but, actually, uh, someone I said to the me the other Olympics. day, "He's the golden fruit guy." But what did he actually do? Can't remember.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh well. So good to be known for
0: something at least. Well let me just go through this. Six Olympics, seven World Cup gold medals, three Olympic golds, father husband, worked in in UBS, seen thousands of advisors. Uh, and yet at the end of all that you step, you're best known for your Golden Valley singing but <laughs> mate welcome I've got so many things to talk to you about I, You know, we could spend three hours just talking about Olympics given we're on the eve of the Tokyo Olympics
1: yeah absolutely yes it's, uh, it's very exciting I'm actually heading off tomorrow so uh, heading over there which is going to be very exciting on quite a few fronts so just uh,
0: explain one... your role there James you, this is your last gig with the IOC is that right
1: yeah, that's right. So I was elected onto the IOC Athletes Commission in London 2012, so I've got an eight-year term. So uh, I was to finish up last year, but I get an extra year because of everything that's going on. But uh, it's uh, And that has meant that I'm you know, a voting member of the IOC as well. So you know, decisions around what sports and uh, which host cities and, and all of that. So it's been fascinating to be involved in. And it'll be fascinating to see how Tokyo, like, it's clearly going to be unique, but just so happy that the athletes are at least getting their chance
0: to um, put into practice what they've been preparing for for, uh, for eight, 12 years um, yep. to uh, to get there. Oh, mate, and, you know, I'm, I'm such a proud dad. I've got two daughters going in the uh, women's hockey team to Tokyo. Uh, and, you know, as a dad, I know the journey they've been on, the roller coaster ride, but... I expect you to keep an eye on them while you're over there and make sure they're behaving themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we yeah we can't get too close to the athletes because they're in a separate little bubble. But, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be... Uh, I mean, the beauty of the role is that, um, one, yeah, there's a whole bunch of meetings that are going on in the background, but we also do get out to um, see some of the sports as well. So, you know, I'll be out to see the hockey, uh, the boys and the girls, and... Um, you know, the, watching the team sports are fantastic you know that second week when you're into the semifinals and the medal rounds uh, you know it gets um, well on the normal circumstances, an unbelievable atmosphere but it will still be uh,
2: incredible uh, to see it you know the, the girls and the boys going out at 100 percent
0: that's right mate now if I if you look back on your career James and as I said we could talk about this for hours but is there one one Olympics that stands out for you that you go oh wow was it your first gold or was it um, one that you won that you probably shouldn't have won, or something along those lines? Well, there were never any that we shouldn't have won, Scott. <laughs> I thought right. that was coming. <laughs> uh, but,
1: uh, no, I don't know. There's nothing like, you know, obviously, the wins were, were fabulous. Um, yeah, the first games, incredible. Sydney, you know, to compete, to compete at your home Olympics is something just, you know, that's next level. And of course, Scott, you know, in about, what are we on about the 20... 2nd or 23rd, you know, Brisbane yeah. will pretty much be announced, well, the decision will be made, Yes, so Brisbane get the 2032 games, and yeah. that
2: would, yeah, you know, to give, uh, you know, your daughters might still be, in you know, 10 years' time, they'll still be uh, knocking around the hockey pitch, um, Yeah, know, for for the boys and girls, uh, or the, the men and women, yeah. you know, to, um, to compete at the home Olympics would just be phenomenal. So, yeah, Sydney was an absolute highlight, but I think... You know, really. What
1: stands out is um, in Barcelona our first win, where uh, you know the uh, the the build-up to that was just extraordinary, and um, you know, and you finally uh, finally win one, and the sense of relief. Yeah, whole thing is over and done with, well, and you've got yeah. the right results. And, yeah, uh, and you know what? The best, actually, the, the best moment is waking up the next morning. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's gold. And you know, and you look across, and there's the middle, and it's real. And it's yeah. just,
1: I don't know, there's just those five seconds when you wake up the next morning. A little dusty, maybe.
0: Yeah. But uh, you wake up the next morning, it's, yeah, uh, it's good. Oh, that's great. That is, I can, yeah, I'm not in your shoes, but I can appreciate that moment, mate. Well done on all that. Now, let's talk about financial services. How did you get into financial services? And what's your current role? Uh, so, at the moment, I'm a national account manager with UBS, Asset Management. So, we run almost $50 billion on behalf of um, um, investors across a whole range of
1: asset classes. You know, we've known for very conservative, defensive fixed income, but um, you know, got some some great real asset strategies and emerging markets, we're really, UBS is really, really strong in the emerging markets in China. We've got a joint, one of a few foreign financial organizations that's got a joint banking license in China. So that gives us a great leg up in there. So uh, we've got some great strategies across um, that space as well. So... uh, you know, and we deal with the intermediaries, the research houses, the uh, the dealer groups, the platforms, and, and the advisors as well to uh, help them help their
0: clients. Yes, yeah, so and mate, I know you're a great friend and advocate of advice and to advisors, and, I, and I've seen you with the advisors over many, many years. And I, I'm really interested in your take as this industry moves to a profession and, you know, what's the sentiment you see out there in advisor land? Well, the...
1: Uh, well, I mean... We could talk about this for a long time, too, Scott. Because the changes over the last three years have been extraordinary. You know, from uh, the breakup of the six big accounts, essentially, you know, the four banks, AMP and IWF, although IWF is um, still aggregating. Um, you know, from that, you know, very concentrated, concentrated ownership, I should say, to much more fragmented. Um, you yeah, know, the cost, and you would know this better than anyone, the cost to give advice and the difficulty to give advice has increased enormously. So, you know, everyone's trying to play in that high net worth space um, because that's you know, it's where it's, uh, it is cost effective and, and, you know, there is a margin there. But the thing that, like... You know, the thing that I'm most sad about is the fact that because of the difficulty to give advice and therefore the cost to give advice, it's the people that really need advice can't afford it. Yeah. And, you know, so the unintended consequences of moving to a profession and increasing the hurdles and the subsequent increase in cost, the unintended consequence is that advice is potentially out of reach for a lot of people. And it's... Probably the area that requires you know, really strategic, um, disciplined uh, advice and, and disciplined uh, execution of that advice.
0: Yeah, it is. It, it, well, it certainly feels like that. And I'm, you know, I've had approaches from a f- few different people lately wanting me to invest somewhere between 100000 and $500,000 for them. And I just don't know where to send them is the issue I've got. Um, the banks are certainly out of this now. Um, and I was reading about a couple of the union super funds now don't want to give full advice. They only want to give advice on their particular super fund. So it's becoming increasingly difficult to look after mum and dad.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think if someone or else... an organisation can crack that, um, that piece of the, you know, and whether it's, a, you know, we, we had robo-advice, but uh, whether that's, you know, how effective that is. But there must be some hybrid model where there's some back-end algorithms based on risk profiles that will, will generate uh, particular you know, low-cost portfolios. But people still want to talk. You know, the thing what that's why it's a hybrid model. Any important news or information, people want that to be delivered by another person. Yeah. Not yep. by a voice-automated um, machine over the phone or a spit-out of a, you know, portfolio from your laptop. So it's got to be that hybrid model and um, where there's that human touch. And yeah, and, and going, I mean, it's across all industries, going forward, pretty much everything can be automated apart from creativity and relationships. Yep. So, you know, those two areas are critical. So the relationship piece, and as I was saying, uh, any critical information um, needs to be delivered by humans. So that's where, you know, if someone can crack that space of being able to provide advice at a low cost, in a low cost environment to um, to all of these people that um, maybe advice is, uh, you know, out of reach at the moment, if they can crack that nut and uh, do it in a, you know, very human,
0: personal way, then um, I think that's, that's, that's uh, a segment that that's, needs to be addressed. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's just this flight, you know, Obviously, up to those successful clients with some complexity where you can add some value and be able to charge the fees that you need to be able to, to run a business uh, Correct, it, yeah. is what's happening. But also, you know, I'm interested in you taking the funds management industry because they've got headwinds at the moment as well.
1: Yes, yes. It's almost, uh, you yeah, and I'm not, uh, 100%, yeah, I'm not 100% up on the minutiae the, of uh,
0: the legal requirements. I've got a team that
1: yeah. looks after that. But, yeah, the fact that now, Fund provide fund managers have
0: to provide a reason why this is a good investment for a client. Yeah, yeah. it's like this reverse engineering of like we've got to
1: understand the the, the needs and the wants well, and the requirements of the end user, and does this suit? It's like that's the advisor's role.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's that's all your all, role, Scott. To I know it's all the
1: this l- emerging market fund is a cracker. You know, it does yeah. this, this, and this. It's uh, long term. It's investing rather than trading. It's got a fabulous track record. You know, yada yada yada. Um, it should. You know, it's not up. to – Well, we're happy to do it because it's a good story. But um, I don't think it's up to the fund managers to justify. Why their particular strategy is good for a particular client?
0: Yeah, um, um,
1: and again, it just moves. You know, we're talking about these low-cost um, environments of servicing clients. Yeah, you know, it hinders that that algorithm production because you know if you've got some uh, hybrid system producing portfolios based on inputs from clients, and say one of our UBS funds is in those portfolios, then. In that environment, how do we engage, you know, understand that end user yes. and ensure that our yes. strategy is appropriate for that end user if it's all done by um, in that hybrid model, by an algorithm that, um, based on risk profiles and, and situation? So anyway, that's all. Yes, it's becoming more
0: and more difficult it's, at every step of the way. It's a two-bottle red wine conversation <laughs> about how do we end up here? But let's let's move forward. Let's let let's move forward. It is what it is. Or you know that was then. This is now. We need to move forward um, because we all value you know, we all value the value of advice. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning. And you know you would have seen thousands of advisors over the years, I'm sure. And what I'm interested in, James, is you know some of the successful advising practices. Is there any common themes that you think run through those practices or maybe it's the advisors themselves?
1: Well, I think, yeah, the advisors make up, yeah, that's culture is everything in any environment, whether it's a sporting team or a business and advice practice, you know, that culture is absolutely critical. And it's a passion for what you're doing. And you yeah, you mentioned it, you know, it's, advisors love giving advice, you know, prop, good solid advice that's going to allow a client, gives them peace of mind, gives them clarity on where they are going and how they're going to get there and, you know, that peace of mind to um, live out a um, healthy, happy lifestyle that they want to be able to live in. So, you know, the good practices are full of advisors that are passionate about, passionate about their relationship with their client and passionate about giving advice and you know, the breakup of the banks and the reduction in advisor numbers uh, because of, you know, the Royal Commission and everything that's going on, you're actually are left with a whole bunch of really passionate advisors. Like the ones yeah. that want to be in the industry yeah. are in the industry. Yeah. The ones that want to do the exams are doing the exams. And so you end up with this this uh, elite group of advisors. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, my wife and I have gone through the process with a uh, financial advisor and it's like it's incredibly personal the information that you're sharing with your advisor yeah they know everything about us yeah and everything about our relationship yeah, <laughs> so it's an incredibly <laughs> personal relationship and trust yep that's involved and if you can create that you know the peace of mind when we left from our first meeting was take a breath we're okay you know, we've got a structure. We've got a plan in place. We're going to execute that plan. It's just like sports, Scott. <laughs> you know, yep. Where do we want to get to? Yep. Okay, that's a long way away. And wow, that's a big, uh, huge goal that we're trying to achieve. Okay, what do we have to do today? What do we have to do tomorrow? You know, step by step by step. And thats uh, it's all very well to have a, a goal and a plan. But you need fantastic coaches around you. You need fantastic nutritionists. You need fantastic psychologists, sports physiologists. um, That's all your advice, team. And then you need it to be able to execute that plan. So, uh, you know, that's, but that's expensive. (laughs) It's expensive to have that team around you. So, um, but that's the value, I mean, that's the passion and, and, and advisors that love to do that, love to help people. At the end of the day, that's what advisors are doing. They're helping people with a really complex part of their life and taking that pain away the groups that I see, or that we see, and that we love dealing with, it's a partnership with those advice groups. It's um, yeah, not just a one-way. It's a, it's a real partnership because we're all in this together, trying to help, essentially trying to help the end the end client with their financial problems and finding solutions for them.
0: Oh, I love that, mate. I could listen to that all day. It's, you know, I, there's so, I, I love that you related that back to sport because that's always how I look at it. Um, when, when you're dealing with You know, a good advisor in my mind is part counsellor, part coach, part mentor and advisor. There's an eclectic skill set there needed to bring a client along on the journey.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a a good advisor, you know, the relationships that you hold are like 10, 20, 30, 40-year relationships sometimes, uh, depending on when you started. Yeah. You know, it's not just stock picking and um, putting a portfolio together. It is everything that you've said. So, uh, yes. but you know, coming back to sport and coming back to the big changes that um, that we've seen, you know, athletes and sporting teams are always having to adapt, adapt to changes. Always change happening. You know, in the not only in your preparation, different venues, different climatic um, issues, different courses, different pitches. If you're playing hockey, but also during the game, you know, curveballs are being thrown at you all the time that you need to react to. it so. You know, the athlete mindset is to obviously have that big goal well into the future, understand the steps to get there, but be malleable and flexible enough to change on the run, if required. And advice and advisors (laughs) in the industry has certainly had to do that.
0: Absolutely. Sometimes
1: slowly, uh, sometimes effectively, but, you know, change is... Yeah, this
0: is going to sound corny. To no, no, go. Change is, is inevitable, and it's ongoing,
1: and it's just you've just got to suck it up and get on with it. You know, you can whinge and complain and carry on as much as you like, but at the end of the day, you've got to actually do something about it. And that's uh, and that's just the way it is. So, you know, again, well, you know, for me and for you as well. Yeah, you know, we all we, we refer back to our sporting experiences and uh, go, well, yep, okay, that goal is still there. Yeah, and that's right. Still down there in the distance, and maybe I've got to change my my uh, approach a little bit. But it's still there, and adjust and change and adapt, and but just keep moving forward.
0: And I think the the piece that that gives you is resilience. You know, you know I yeah. talk to my kids about this all the time. That you know the the roller coaster ride of high performance sport. You know, you're either getting selected or you're not selected, or you've got to turn up to training. You don't feel like it. It's rainy. It's cold. You know. It's called resilience and it's a really great thing to hold you, you know, hold you in good stead for life. And I think that's what's happening in the advice world today that um, yes. yeah, you know, we're seeing a lot of character building, we're seeing resilience. And now we're seeing the you know, the cream rise to the top to go, yeah, I want to be in this industry for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. What a great time to be as it changes from an industry to a profession and we're going to see the greatest transference of wealth we've ever seen.
1: Yeah. In an industry where 10% plus of everyone's wages every month gets poured in to the pool. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> Well, I like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's government guaranteed. It's a government guaranteed <laughs> business. I do like that. <laughs> and, you know, well, we all need advice around it. Um, so that's certainly is. But I do love that parallel of um, sport to sport to business into the advice world that you just brought into, into play. Now, I want to just change tack very slightly that... Uh, we are seeing this big transfer of wealth, and we're starting to see a multitude of multi-family offices and family offices uh, come into the Australian landscape. Uh, have you have you witnessed that? Are you part of that evolution?
1: Yes. Yeah, and more and more so. Um, you know, and as as we mentioned, yeah, you know, the the breakup of those um, those larger uh, you know, the banking channels. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, people that are getting together and doing their own thing. So that's only natural to take control of that, Yeah, you know, take matters into their own hands, again, adapting to the situation. So, and that's where, you know, fun, I mean, yeah, yeah UBS play. That's where we can we can play a role because we yep. do, you know, there's such a broad, I mean, UBS is an, an enormous organisation, global organisation, but it has incredible capability across the globe. And that's where some of the family officers want to be really uh very bespoke and very niche-like in where they want to invest and how they want to invest. And that's where large, very capable, very effective organisations can help in that space. So that Great. sort of...
0: Um, and James, um, so just, you know, what are they looking for? Is well. that is, is that what they're after, bespoke or they're after they would give you a mandate? How would that work for um, both, our listeners? Both of
1: those things. Both yeah. of those things. You know, often there's a lot of direct investment, in, in particular in the real asset space. But, of course you know, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to a lot of diversity. So maybe that can be complemented with a you know, very good um, you know, infrastructure strategy, for example, in a fund where it is, it is going to give you diversity and it is going to give you an easy, liquid way to access the decarbonisation thing or the theme into data transmission and uh, and storage. Yeah, you know, two massive themes are going to play out for the next 50 years. Yep hard to do in a direct way unless it's really big licks of money but then it's a you know single investment uh, in a single asset so not a lot of diversity there so you know I think funds can complement that bespoke nature so um, I think that's that's the space and it, and often always in a far more liquid way and and often in a far more cost effective way as well so there's you know those direct investments uh, married up with some some good solid funds with is, a, a, an investment committee behind that uh, in, and it's it's really refreshing that that investment committee can make a decision quickly and act on it as yep. opposed to having to go through a multitude of research groups external and internal and then get it onto a platform at, like the, the time to get
0: something ready to be investable yes <laughs> like is two it? or three years yep. essentially
1: by the time you get some track record so that's where um, you know we're finding
0: some Some good uh, take up there now what about you personally we're just in in 10 seconds how how do you invest broadly what what have you got a theme for yourself or
1: um yeah the theme is uh well i'll take a personally i'm good i'm planning on being around for a while so good um you know pretty punchy yep yeah the Well, I think it's something like in the next five years, eighty plus percent of global GDP will come from emerging market countries. So that's one area that I'm that we are invested in. Yep. And then, yeah, that decarbonisation theme. The to meet the twenty fifty targets of net zero, the amount of investment into energy transmission and uh, the decarbonisation theme is extraordinary on an annual basis so uh, that's a theme that we're involved in and then yeah got Good. a few small little bits on the side as well
0: <laughs> couple of, well I'm not including surfboards as investments my friend when you when you talk <laughs> about that now let's move on. I've only got a couple more questions for you mate because I want these to be about a half hour for everybody to listen yep, to cool. but would you I'm back to rowing again would you? Are, are your kids rowers or would you let them be rowers given that you've had 24, 30 years, four or five hours a day sitting in a boat?
1: Yeah, I'd love them to. I'd love them to. And the, you know, the beauty of rowing, and hockey's the same, you know, it's team sports. To be around a group of passionate people all striving for the same thing
0: is fantastic. And that can be an advice firm, it could be anything. Yeah. Family, um,
1: sporting field. So I, they all rowed, they all promised they would try it they all tried it they're all really good at it they're all doing something else <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i just told my kids that you either play hockey or i don't feed you but that seems <laughs> to work out. And, and um looking back you know you've got a very well balanced life when i look at your life and is there some really good habits that you do weekly or daily that you you know put into a and I, I call a successful life around you know you're very clear about how you want to live your life. You've got very close relationships. There's a big legacy piece for you in terms of giving back to sport and community. Um, is there some things that you think you've, you, know, you, you do well on a weekly or daily basis to keep everything in check?
1: Well, I think uh, you mentioned it's that balance. I think that is critical. And uh, it's the notion of Olympism, actually, of leading a balanced life, yeah, mind, body and soul. Academics for the mind, arts for the soul, and some athletics or some movement for the body. And I think uh, and that's what I try and do. Uh, not all, not in balance, you know, 33, 33, 33, but, you know, touching those three areas um, daily or on, definitely on a weekly basis is really, really important. So I'm still really active. Enjoying work. I've uh, got the family. It's, uh, you know... I think people that commit 100% and we see it in sport and we see it in all walks of life if you're completely devoted to one aspect of that. And it might, let's talk about sport. If, you, if you're a swimmer or a rower or a hockey player and that's all you do and you're still happily on, on a result, Yeah, if you get it, fantastic. If you don't, then there's issues. But if you've got balance in your life, you know, there's other things you can fall back on. And that's actually one of the reasons why I rode for as long as I did because I was working, in, I studied at uni and worked... Um, in financial services while I was rowing so it wasn't solely rowing or solely working it was this
0: nice balance and uh, there was always something to look forward to I love that so I think think that
1: is really really critical
0: and just really quickly are are you organised around your week what you do or what you put into your week or is it you're just into a natural habitual state at the moment
1: natural state at the moment it's just normal. Like
0: yeah, it's it's normal, become to, you know, normal. Get
1: up early, take the dog for a walk and do some sprints on the oval. <laughs> it's like, oh, come I'd... home, have a break and go to work. It's like, th- this is what I do. Or go paddling or swimming or something or other. after work. Or, yeah, I or get you know, it. In the, now that we're in this hybrid model of a few days in the office. And few days at home yeah at lunchtime yeah, go for a run
0: or something rather. other james that's fantastic that mind body soul and i just love that that is the you know olympic ideals and and you're you know obviously that's just part of your life now but so if i just want to recap because there's there's just some you know to, there's some gold in this <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that's good scott you do <laughs> like that there's some gold <laughs> in yeah. this but I, well I, I love the I love your take on mind, body, soul, but I love your take on the fact that you're in this industry and you've got an advisor and, and, then, and you value that advice, but you also value, you, you trust enough that you've brought someone else into your tent to understand where you are and where you're going as a family and individuals.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, and we love the relationship that we have with our advisor and, and, and the office as well and all the support around that. And um, and as I was saying, like it is incredibly personal and there's a huge amount of trust involved. And when you create that and you've got that good environment, the peace of mind for the boat for my wife and I going forward is great. Yeah. Like we
0: know we're in a safe pair of hands. We know that's yeah, stuff in all sorts, yeah, Jesus i quarterly shares way back when in all sorts of different <laughs> names in terms <laughs> personal names you
1: know
0: joint names all this crap all over the place five different, different super color. funds I'm trying to sort all that out for us it's, it's <laughs> uh, mate I'm going to leave it at that because that's a great way to leave it but, but um, I, I want to thank you I'm going to take the opportunity to get you back on the show after Tokyo absolutely after you've looked after my daughters while you're <laughs> over there but mate have a great trip and uh, thank you so much for all your time.
1: It's a pleasure Scott. thanks mate.
0: Thanks James.
1: And the only place it's is Valley Gold.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gap podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.